Well, good morning, everyone. Okay, uh, we got to do better than that. Good morning, everyone. So for pretty much the last week and a half, I've only been in a high church liturgical context, our historic black church context. And so there has not been silence from the moment the sermon has began till the end in any of those. And good morning. And so thank you for responding a little bit. I was like, wait, is anyone even actually actually here this morning? So if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, um, I'm Robert. I've had the opportunity uh, one other time to come up here and share, do some admin work around here at Center Church. And if you have met me and just don't want to do the whole thing that I forget your name, my name's Robert, and so I'm really thankful when pastors do that or people in church do that because I'm too embarrassed to go re-ask them their name after I've met them once already. So if that's the case, uh, you're welcome. So you don't have to go through the shame that I have to go through at times. So we're right now in this uh, walkthrough of the book of Jonah, um, and we're doing a very steady, slow walkthrough um, of the book of Jonah. And before we get into today's text, um, something that we have been doing is just doing a little bit of refresher, where we've been, what we've seen, um, some things about who Jonah is. And so things that we've talked about already, that Jonah is a prophet of God. Jonah has been called by God to go to Nineveh um, to bring the, good, bring the news of God, to call Nineveh into repentance. And issue there is Nineveh and Israel don't like each other. Jonah doesn't like Nineveh. Jonah does not only not like Nineveh, Jonah doesn't think Nineveh deserves anything of who he knows about God and what he thinks about God and how he understands who God is. And so Jonah's not really thrilled with this. Um, Jonah goes away, and just to add one level to that, something that we've talked about is Jonah doesn't only just not like Nineveh, he doesn't like them as a people, he doesn't like them as a country, he sees himself as problematic, sees them as problematic, sees their country as problematic. On the flip side of that, Jonah not only just doesn't, just likes his country, he's a nationalist. And I know that's a term that really brings up a lot of different feelings, especially in our culture climate right now. It's probably a term that you maybe could go a year or two with never hearing, and in the last year or two, you've probably heard several times a week in different contexts. And so what that means, as we've talked about before, is Jonah not only loves his country, but thinks they can do no wrong. Even when they do the exact same things other countries he hates for doing, when his country does it, it doesn't matter. And so there's this really complex reality in that, right? Like, okay, we don't like the Ninevites because they're all awful, but here, look at my country, look at these awful things that we do, but let's only focus on the good there. And so Jonah has that, that he doesn't only love his country, not does he only hate these people because he sees them as an enemy, but has a lot of blind spots to him, his country, his reality, and, and his formation. And so he's coming into that. And so as we've seen, Jonah runs away from God. The text says he intentionally tries to flee the presence of the Lord. And so he leaves, gets on the ship, great storm comes upon the ship, sailors are freaking out, trying to figure out what they do, throw cargo over, Jonah's sleeping in the ship, like, ah, whatever, you know, God's God, this is what's happening. Uh, and sailors confront Jonah, talk about it, and so where we find him today is the sailors have been trying everything, throwing cargo over, calling out to their God, confronting Jonah, they finally come to an understanding on Jonah's own declaration that Jonah is the reason that they have found themselves in the predicament that they are. And of note here, as we think about this summary, as we think about where we find ourselves in the text today, I find it fascinating, and I don't have much to expound on here, but just something for us to think about as we go through this text, is at no point, at least how I see the text and understand it, do we ever get an image of Jonah that doesn't have an uncertainty about who God is and what God can do. There's not this sense like, you know, some of us might have experiences where like, yeah, we just don't want 
we don't believe in this anymore. We don't think God has power. We're just going to kind of just walk away from the faith and whatever. Jonah's intentionally fleeing. Like, if that was his mindset, if that he was like, ah, I'm done with this faith, why couldn't he just stay in the town that he was in? If he does not think God is powerful, if he does not think God is almighty, if he does not think God has truly called him to this and God is active in this, if he also doesn't understand the character of God, like, holy cow, Jonah, God is most likely going to actually want to bring redemption to the Ninevites. Like, for him to respond in this way, for him to have this reaction, he has to have an idea of the power of God. So this isn't just someone who says, yeah, whatever, I'm done with this faith. This is someone who deeply knows and understands who God is, what God is capable of, and what God has called him to. And he's like, no, Ninevites don't deserve that. I don't want anything part of that. And so I just want us to sit with that reality through today and as we go through this series is recognizing that what does this mean that this prophet of God, that Jonah, who is fleeing, has become so concerned about what God is calling us to, what God wants us to do, how God wants to form and shape us, that he's like, yeah, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to be done. I'm going to intentionally flee. And so just wanted to bring that up as we think about who we've learned Jonah to be, that he understands what God is capable of. Now, he obviously doesn't understand what it means to follow and be obedient to God because he's, he has, has left that. And so just wrestle with that. Let's think through that. And so the text that we're in today is uh, Jonah 1, 11 through 16. So I'm going to read this and then just want to do a walkthrough um, of the text, make some observations about it, and then get into how do we, as people of the gospel, how does this story, how does this, how does this what is transpiring here, form and inform our, uh, our presence, um, our posture, in light of the gospel, the gospel commitment, the gospel belief that, that we have, that we carry. And so the text, uh, Jonah 1, 11 through 16, it reads, then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more temp tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for, the man's for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have o Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord and exceedingly, the, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So if we just take each of these verses and walk through this text a little bit and make some general observations about them before we get into, okay, so how do, how do we approach this? What can we learn from it? What can we glean from it? And since it's a short passage, I just want to do this um, briefly with each of, these, each of these little sections. And so as we read through the text, right away, uh, they said to him, what shall we do to you that the seas may quiet down for us, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous? And by the end of this, I'll pronounce that correctly, just so we're clear. Uh, my tongue keeps uh, curling on it. And I want to bring us back to something that we've come to in almost every part of this series, is that people, in this case not Ninevites, but Gentiles, 
that Jonah doesn't want God to care about, that doesn't want God to know, that doesn't want this opportunity for redemption, for opportunity for confession of wrongdoing to happen, are now continuously coming and talking to him. People that he doesn't want to see, people that he doesn't want to talk to, people that he wants to run away from are continuously coming and talking to him. And so we start this off like we've seen a couple other questions through this. Say, hey Jonah, what do we do? <laughs> can you give us an awareness, can you an idea? And so continuously Jonah is finding himself in a place that he has an opportunity to speak into these people, to give thoughts. They are wanting to know what it is. And so again, we see uh, the sailors reaching out to Jonah, talking to Jonah, asking him for guidance, asking him for insight. And another thing in this right away beginning is I want us to see is that the storm kept growing. The storm kept growing and it kept getting harder and it kept getting rougher. It didn't just, here's one storm, one idea of a storm. It's going to go, it's going to continue. And as we think about this text, as we think about what we can learn about that, I just want us to have that in the back of our head as we keep going through this text, that these storms, these things that um, Jonah is getting called into, these things that Jonah is running away from, these things that Jonah doesn't want to name, doesn't want to embrace, things aren't going to get any easier for him. The storm's going to keep getting rougher. The storm's going to keep getting harder. Keep going, and we see that um, Jonah, in light of what they've done, in light of what they've already figured out, um, he's named his role, and he flat out just says, pick me up, hurl me over, and the sea is going to stop. And because it's because of me. And these, there's times throughout scripture that I wish that we had a, like an, uh, an actual audio version of the Bible, that we know how things were said. And this is one of those texts that I feel like that, because is Jonah like, just whatever, just hurl me over. I write, this is it, like, this is me. Or is it anger, or is it, and I'm not trying to add anything to this, this is just a thinking out loud here with you, but just to think, what is the weight of this? Because let's be honest, especially after the, the, the week that I've had, sometimes we read text, and it sounds like we're mourning our faith instead of celebrating our faith, right? And so I don't know if we always get the real weight of what potentially is being communicated here. And so think about that, that Jonah's just like, all right, it's me, hurl me over. And two things that I want to bring out of this is that Jonah recognizes his impact on what's happening. He might not be thrilled about it. He might not still want to be obedient to what God is doing, but Jonah recognizes like, hey, choices I made, actions I've done, here I am. <laughs> uh, this is what's happening. And another thing from this is that even for a moment here, he recognizes the impact that it's causing the ship, the impact that it's causing the sailors, the impact that recognizes like, if we want this to stop, I need to make a decision. I need to recognize what it is that I'm done, what is happening, how have I played into this? And something to build off those ideas is that I think that we see what Jonah here is Jonah's intentions of going away, of leaving, of fleeing God's call were for nothing beyond Jonah, right? There's nothing beyond Jonah. Jonah's like, I just don't want to do this. It's a very selfish endeavor. <laughs> it's a very, this is about me, but I want you to see that what has happen with Jonah's decision to be, this is about me, I'm going to do this. Now a whole ship and its group of sailors are at the brink of death. So even with Jonah here, even when his actions seem just about him, other people are impacted. And I think we spend so much time of that on the text and Jonah's story. For such a short book, there's a lot of verses given to at least reference the other people around and so I just want us to, to see that in Jonah's decision-making and Jonah's actions that 
he is not impacted, isolated from his decisions. He is beyond him, is being impacted, is being moved, is being um, found himself into the storm. And so Jonah communicates this to the sailors, but they say, nevertheless, right? <laughs> nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. They still tried to find another way. Earlier in Jonah, we already see them throwing their cargo off, and Kevin talked a couple weeks ago about this is their livelihood. This is their work. This, is, this isn't just like, you know, we go into our houses, and how many of us could just fill a garage sale easily with stuff that we don't even know that have, we have, right? Or how many of y'all have cleaned the basement, and all of a sudden your kid is like, I've been looking for that toy forever, and it has three inches of cobwebs on it, and you're like, no, you never knew that existed. So this isn't wasted stuff. This isn't unvaluable stuff. This isn't stuff that they're not aware of. These are things that are part of them, part of who they are, most likely part of their work that they've already thrown off, and yet they're still trying to find another way. What is something else besides that we can do that? And similarly to the whole notion of these actions impact others beyond Jonah, I want us to think about the fact of this nevertheless. And again, want to be careful about applying too much to this, but every time I've read this text, as I've been praying over it the last couple weeks, as I sat down to think about what it is that would be worthwhile talking about, talking about today, I just wanted us to think and wrestle with the fact, as we keep learning from Jonah, as we keep seeing what, what, what is it that this story has a place for here, I'm wondering how many times do we nevertheless through our own storms own our own power? They've already tried everything. They've already thrown their livelihood off. They've already thrown things that are precious to them. They are wrestling with the tension. We'll get that to a little bit about what Jonah has presented. And so we recognize there's some real tension there. Like, well, do we really want to throw someone off the boat? But they've already tried things and they've seen this grow more and more. And so just the, the bluntness the bluntness of that nevertheless, the aggressiveness of it, even in the text, just is like, nevertheless, we are going to try something else. We are going to row harder. We're going to do more. And so just thinking about it and the way that this met me as I read it, that, man, rowing through our own storms on our own power, we're just so committed to that, right? We're so committed to that, and we see that in this story. And I want to be really clear about this. Scripture calls us to endure and persevere, Okay. So I'm not saying that we don't endure and we persevere, but especially us who are people of the gospel who have New Testament writings that are forming and informing us, Scripture calls us to endure and persevere, but it calls us to endure in Christ, to be built up in Christ. It calls us to be strengthened in Christ, and it causes us as the body of Christ to strengthen one another and edify one another, right? And so our posture and our presence and enduring and persevering so this isn't to say, like, you know, rowing through hard things is something that you shouldn't do. No, absolutely, we have to go through hard seasons, right? We have to press through hard seasons. We have to recognize, like, what it is. But the idea that we're going to be able to row through those, that we're going to be able to endure through those on our own strength, on power, I mean, I'm totally, m my arms are not rowing through that storm at all. I mean, my arms are barely rowing through the kiddie pool at Bunker Beach. And so just recognizing the fact that, we are called to endure, we are called to persevere, but yet how many times we try to nevertheless on our own power and our own strength and how what we're seeing here is an image for that realization. So the sailors, after the nevertheless, 
find themselves calling out to the Lord. They say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you. O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And one of the trajectories from where we've gone so far, just in this chapter one, and so as you know, Jonah's not a long book at all. But in chapter one, we've seen this trajectory of the sailors in this short amount of verses that in verse five, each one is calling out to their own God, right? They, they recognize like, okay, something's going on. You call out to your God, you call out to your God, you call out to your God. Let's figure out how to do this, right? And then verse six, the captain comes to Jonah and says, hey, you call out to your God. So you, you call out to your God. And now the language here is clear when they say, and therefore they called out to the Lord. So now here in vor- verse 14, we find them calling out to the Lord. We find them no longer calling out to their own gods, but there's some recognition in what they've learned from Jonah, what they've seen, saying, okay, this is who we need to call out to. This is who we need to plead to. And there's definitely some tension there, right? There's this tension of this innocent blood, this, wait, what, how do we play role in this? How do we, w- are we really supposed to throw them over? And do we just, you know, it's, I mean, it's totally a new meeting to let go and let God, right? Like, here's Jonah, just go <laughs> and, and see what happens um, within it. And I think the sailors here are also a mirror, and especially when we think of them about here's the Gentiles coming to Jonah. Jonah doesn't want anything to do with them. Not only are they now in unison crying out to the Lord, right? But they also are aware of Jonah as a person. They also not only have care and compassion for what would this do to them, what will their impact to them, but there's a sense that we don't want to hurt this person, right? Where Jonah through this story has thought of no one else <laughs> in this. And so you see these people saying, okay, let's think out loud of this. However, as the text tells us, despite all these attempts, they find no other way and the sea ceases. And there's immediacy to that in the language. He's over and the sea ceases. And so these sailors are overwhelmed by this. They are in awe of this. They, um, the text tells us that after this happened, that the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Proverbs tell, pr- the book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is a growing awareness and adoration and respect of the Lord. There is this recognition. There is this change in posture. There is this awe. There's this not just this fear like I'm going to go hide under a blanket and be terrified. There is this awedness. There is this respect. There is this recognizing of who God is and God's power in that moment. And so not only here, and I, I want us to catch the double imagery that's happening here. Not only does the actual sea of the storm cease, but they have then now moved to this place of fear of the Lord. That their fear, that their unknowing, that their uncertainty, that they're not, whatever it might be, has calmed. There's not only the real storm that has ceased, but there is something in them that has ceased as well. A new recognition, a new redirection, a change in course. And we can imagine that once the ship, the storm around the ship stopped and ceased, the ship got back on course too, right? And so if you're getting beat side to side, you're, you're having a hard time controlling that. And so just to recognize there that the, the journey that these sailors have taken from just trying to do everything they can to throw cargo off to trying to figure out new ways, to calling out to their God, then the recognizing what is it that we are seeing here? What is it that Jonah, even if he didn't want to, has in a way testified to? And how has that transformed them? 
And so that's just a brief overview and some general reflections on, the, on these um, specific passages that make up this larger selection that we read here about where we have found Jonah, Jonah's actions. And so one of the things that we do around here, one of the things that I want us to think about is how does the gospel, our commitment to the gospel, our call to the gospel play out as we read these verses? What are things that we can learn from? What are things, and I, w- I just want to be very clear about this. There's going to be passages that it's just a hint of, right? I'm not saying that it is directly here. Here's your bullet points, ABCs. You know, you rearrange the letters and all of a sudden you have Jesus, right? Like that, this, is not, this is not one of those things. But how is God continually revealing God's self throughout this story, throughout this journey? And what is it about us then as people who are committed to this call of Jesus? What can we learn? How can we be formed? How can we be challenged to further submit ourselves to the call of Jesus? Not here's your checklist of now things that you need to go do, but how does the gospel give us lenses in which to read this through, to be able to press in, to be able to learn, to be able to live? Now that sometimes might look like presses and challenges for us. How in the freedom that the gospel provides are we more obedient and therefore taking these steps to do this, but in no way as far as uh, here's your list of to-dos for the week. And so one of the things that I want to start us off with, I have three that I want to give some thoughts and reflection on as it relates to this Jonah text, right? And so the first is, we have to be a people that let, let Jesus lead you and us to dry land. We have to be a people that let Jesus lead you and us to dry land. If anything, in just this short section of Jonah, right, in chapter 1, we continuously see so far that if we keep coming back to the need, each, I think almost every week we have made some comments about the need to believe the gospel, right? And some of you might be like, oh, that's just, okay, we know that, but there's a difference in knowing that and knowing that, right? Might use the same language. And honestly, I know Kevin's uh, brought this up a couple times, um, and one of my, uh, someone that, I, um, that is a head of a network that I work with, uh, he actually believes that his full call to ministry is simply the ministry of reminding. He, re- he believes that's literally what the Lord has called him to, is just to be, remind people of the gospel. <laughs> remind people of its impact. And so sometimes I think we can get, yeah, we know that. We say that every week. But if you got it figured out, I'll be in the back afterwards, and you can come explain it to me, okay? <laughs> How does it work? Uh, for me, at least, and maybe I'll just throw myself on there, I need a continued reminder of this, right? Need a continued reminder. I'm a Luther Sim grad. Luther talked about walking wet every single day in our baptism. And why, like, being like, we need the reminder, okay? We need it. We need to be pressed and challenged. And so what we see in this series, what we see in Jonah, what we see in the sailors, is that we will literally destroy ourselves trying to get back to dry land on our own. We will destroy ourselves trying to get back to dry land on our own. It is for us as people of the cross, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that makes a way for us to stand on dry land. That makes a way for us to get there. That we cannot do this on our own. We cannot find this righteousness. We cannot find this freedom on our own. It honestly, and I'm someone who has thrown a lot of cargo out of my life, right? (laughs) Just to try to be able to get something or see something and be like, this will do it, right? We cannot, it doesn't matter how much cargo we throw off or how hard we row, we need something beyond ourselves. We need someone beyond ourselves. 
And what I want to be clear, like I said, with the cargo earlier in this, with the things, that doesn't mean that there isn't perseverance and endurance that needs to happen, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't things that we need to change about our life. There is, it's just not going to be sustainable for me to drink as much sweet tea as I drink the rest of my life. Okay, that is a very just like bland thing of something, anything deep, but everyone's kind of like, mm, I don't know what he's talking about, so I'm going to try to bring some humor in, and then even try to distance it that there was no laughter. And so, it's okay, so we're back here. That even that we cannot do on our own. And so it's not that we don't need to persevere. It's not that we don't need to endure. It's not that we don't need to be like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this thing that's causing me a problem. It doesn't mean that we don't need to have those conversations. But as long as you're trying to do it from a place that I can do this on my own, I can save myself, I can be able to fix everything, it's not going to work. It's going to be exhausting. It's, it's going to be, and even when it is done, it's done in a way of like, okay, I just need to do this one thing. I just need to do one thing. And there's nothing freeing about that. There's nothing that actually gets to see you the whole picture about that. And so when we attempt to make ourselves righteous, to find righteousness in ourselves, we're consistently going to fail. And this is where in Jonah, where we find him today, that I think we have a hint of that necessity, of the impact of that. And so the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in Romans, I'm going to read this, and I think I'm going to be up there. So in light of this conversation, Paul writes in Romans, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propiti propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just, the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We just can't do this on our own. We can't bring that righteousness upon ourselves. And it goes beyond us. It goes beyond us individually. It's also for the sake of humanity. Our need to believe the gospel is beyond our own individual needs, but for our relationship with the rest of us. We see in Jonah, he doesn't want some people to come to know God. He doesn't think they deserve it. He doesn't, he doesn't have this awareness of who God is and God's fullness, right? And so we need this, we need to be able to embrace this beyond our own seeds. Great, got your salvation, right? But here's the deal. We're in a world that's a lot more than us. And if we're really, okay, if I'm honest with myself, there's people that that's a struggle for me, right? And if you're honest with yourself, I'm sure it doesn't take you that long to think of people in your own life. And not just individual people, communities of people, right? And so our need to believe the gospel is beyond our own individual needs, but for our relationship with the rest of humanity as well. Paul, in the previous passage that I just read, tells us that there's no distinction for all have sinned. All have sinned. Jesus is put forward to do what we cannot, to be what we cannot, and to show us what we cannot or just don't want to see. And I think both of those things can be true. Not only can we not see it in our own limited, but there's just times that we don't want to see it, that we don't want to know about it, that we just want to distance ourselves from it. 
and just go fly away into the by and by by ourselves, right? But we don't have the freedom to be able to do that because God has put us together as a community. And so this righteousness, regardless of Jonah wants in this season and even what we want in our own life, this righteousness is for all that believe, that embrace the call of Jesus, that declare Jesus as Lord. It is for all who do that. And we have to recognize that this sacrifice, that this invitation to this gift, to stand on dry land, is not just for us or for who makes our list of deserving, but for all who believe. It is for all who believe. Romans 5, 6 through 11 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is for you. It's for us. It's for our friends. And it's for our enemies. There's no way around that. And it's for all who have believed. Whether we wish they would believe or not. And so how we see, how we hope for, and how we act towards God's call in our life and our presence to one another is deeply transformed by this promise, by this gift, as we embrace it and as we seek to follow Jesus. So we need to lean on Jesus. We need to be transformed by Jesus. We need Jesus to open this road uh, for us to be able to embrace, to be able to walk down, to be able to live into. We cannot do it on our own. And even if we could do it on our own, we'd only want to do it for a certain group of people. I would probably only want to do it for a certain group of people. If that's not something that we, we want to wrestle with right now. So what do we do? What does this call us to? Because sometimes I think we can get into this mistake where we're like, all right, cool. We're saved. We got Jesus. Now where's the press? What, what is it that, how do we respond? And we love setting up systems in which we have to respond to somehow then make us think we're somehow further ahead than everyone. And if you want to back up to Romans a little bit, that all have sinned, <laughs> right? Even later on, Paul still says in a present tense that I'm the chief of all sinners. And so just thinking of that mindset that, okay, what is it that we're called to do? How do we respond to this? How do we live this out? And so what we see with the sailors is we see sailors recognize the power of God. Something in them changes, something in them ceases, and they offer sacrifices, right? Because that's what they did. Praise be to God that we are not on the sacrificial system <laughs> anymore, that we don't need to earn this, that we don't need to do this. But later on in Romans, Paul calls us to be living sacrifices, right? Not living sacrifices to get further ahead, not living sacrifices to somehow be better. This is not a pageant of like, oh, look at you. You sacrifice more today and you sacrifice because that makes it about ourselves and where we stand, right? And so the sailors' fear of the Lord and their sacrifice has an awareness, as we talked about, that something in them has transformed, something in them has moved. It has echoes of salvation or at least an awareness to the power and character of who God is. And so for us, 
off the sacrificial system because of the work of Jesus and because of the freedom in which Jesus calls us into, what does it look like for us to offer a sacrifice to God? Not to be saved, but because we are. And I think that's an important thing for us to wrestle with because sometimes we realize, like, well, we don't really want to do anything unless we have to do it, right? I work with students all the time of, like, well, why do I have to do this if I don't have to, like, if it's not going to get me anywhere? I'm like, well, because we want you to think critically and be good people, <laughs> like, and as have a good awareness as an understand. And it's like, well, what does it get me? And I'm like, well, it makes you probably an easier person to work with and live with, hopefully. And so recognizing that, like, what is it that we can do if we fear the Lord, if we are saved, what does it mean to offer ourselves as living sacrifices? Later on in Romans um, 12, 1, 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In light of everything Paul does early in Romans, of explaining justification, of saying that, hey, it is not by you, it's by faith in Jesus, he still calls us and presses us to, we are called to be living sacrifices. We are called to press into what is it that Jesus invites us to, not to earn anything, not to like look at us because of this great freedom, because of this great gift, that how do we proclaim that? I was recently with a, uh, a pastor uh, in Virginia the other week, and he, he was just sharing with me, and he was like, and this was convicting for me, and has been convicting for me every day since, is would you say that Jesus is the most important thing to you, that has transformed you, that has truly saved you? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, then why is it so hard to talk about? In the last two days, I have heard you talk about the Chicago Cubs about 40 times, Right? I've heard you talk about an amazing mix that's bringing you back to favorite songs of the 2090s that you want to share with everyone, right? But where is that in there? And I don't want you to hear that as a shame thing or like a look at you, but I think it's a good question and challenge. The things that excite us, the things that bring us joy, the things that transform us are easy to talk about, right? Okay, okay I know I'm a verbal processor, but they're easy to talk about, right? Like, everything's easy for me to talk about, except small talk. That's really awkward. I really want to go deep. Like, I want to be like, okay, where is your life purpose and going? And so small talk, I'm working on. It's a work in progress for me. That is, like, the biggest press community time has provided for me. Like, I want to talk about, like, your deepest longing and desires and where God is calling you because I work with students all day. Um, and so, but to think about that, like, where is that in our life if it's not easy to talk about? I get there's cultural realities. I get that there's different perceptions and receptions that make you aware. But if it's truly something that we're excited about, why is it so challenging to talk about? If it's truly something that's transformed us, Keith Kale, Dr. Keith Kale in middle school. So um, fun story is I have eight-inch metal plates in each of my legs, right? And um, every time that I go on a run and I can't do it, Heather kindly says, oh, are your plates hurting? Um, and because it's become a running joke, joke in our life, right? Uh, and so I have these, but they told me that, hey, so when I was a kid, the ball socket on my leg wasn't in the socket, and the doctor could turn my foot in a full circle without pain, right, okay? So just to make sure anyone who's fallen asleep is back awake now, okay? Uh, I promise we're almost done here. Um, and so they told me I was going to have to wait till my 30s to have hip replacement. There was absolutely nothing they could do except really uncomfortable corrective shoes, things like that. And Dr. Keith Kale, we moved to Wisconsin. 
And he's like, yeah, I can break both of your legs and put it back in the socket. You'll be in a wheelchair for all of sixth grade, but you'll be able to walk again perfectly fine, right? So I was in a wheelchair for the entirety of sixth grade and was able to walk after that, right? And you never know how many friends you have in elementary school till they need to leave class early to push you down the hall, right? All of a sudden, everyone wants to be your friends, but they don't remember that in high school. So, um, but, but our family told everyone about what Dr. Kale, right? Like, people who are having, like, oh, we just need to tol- get replaced. Like, you need to go see this doctor in Madison, right? He's got some great experimental things that he's trying and figuring out what to do. And I, like, yes, it actually does hurt sometimes, right? Okay, but I don't set off metal detectors, anything like that. But we wanted to share that, right? Because that changed our life. For my mom, it changed her kid's life, right? It transformed what I'm able to do. How am I able to be active? And similarly, and more so, tenfold, the gospel does that for our life, right? It transforms how we see things. It transforms how we see ourselves. We find our identity in Christ. It changes how we see one another. It can't help. And so, don't get me wrong, you have different personalities. Not every one of you is going to be, you know, I I have a friend who literally, every time I take a work trip with them, he has gotten every single person's story in his row on the airplane. Just because that is who he is, and it annoys me so much, Um, but that's only because of envy and my own brokenness, right? And so, but recognizing, like, how are other ways that I can talk about this? How are other ways that I communicate? Not for a means to an end, okay? And I want to be very clear about this. Oftentimes when we talk to people, it's just a means to an end, and that's void of relationship, right? We just want to get them somewhere. But if that's really, truly the most exciting, transformative thing that's happened in your life, for you, your personality, your wiring, and how you share, and all of that, why isn't it something that's so natural to us? Why isn't it something that's so natural to me? And so we are called to be living sacrifices. We are called to be able to live this out, independence on Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. But just because we're saved doesn't mean that there aren't things that that salvation presses us out to do. Not out of guilt, not out of checking off a list, but out of the freedom that we have found in Christ, out of the identity that we have found in Christ. And so we are called to be living sacrifices. Last one. One thing that I want to press us on or bring to our awareness is the notion of confession. And now some of you, depending on your formation, depending on what you've come from, depending on what movies you've chosen to watch, you might have this idea of, you know, going in a booth and talking and being like, I'm just an awful human being, right? <laughs> I'm just bad. And then you're back again because I'm just an awful human being, Jackie Ben. Or if you've ever seen those Vintage 21 Jesus videos on YouTube where people have taken old Jesus movies and dubbed them over with this amazing voice, Jesus just comes down the line and is like, it's time to pay the piper. And they all like go follow him, right? That's not what I'm talking about here because everything we've just articulated in Romans, everything that we've articulated through this gospel application is about the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ, right? That the freedom that we want to be able to let go of this through the power of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we want to be able to name this. And so I think what we see here, one thing that we can build off is obviously we can't fully dive into like where Jonah was at at this moment in it, but there was power in naming what was going on, right? Is, do they just get him up and s- out of his sleep and throw him overboard? If Jonah doesn't say, hey, throw me over, it's my fault, right? Or we need to press into this. We need to deal with this. There's something powerful about naming it. Not because you're doing this on your power, but what is something that the Spirit of God is compelling you to say like, hey, I really need to press into this. It's one, of, you know, we don't just do community groups to have what we do to to just to have food together or just to be able to see one another. We do community groups as well to press into the heavy stuff, to press into life. Some of y'all's community groups split up 
um, for several weeks a week to be able to have more intimate, pressing conversations, right? Some of y'all have done different things. You come to be part of a church community, not just to check the things off, but you want to be pressed. You want to be pushed. You want to be challenged. You want to be able to recognize what is it? Where's my blind sauce? Wherever, where? And some of y'all, I found that, wow, holy cow, being able to be in that context, being on that press makes me want to be like in obviously in, in, in relationships that that is accepted and appropriate, all that. But like in your community group, with your community group leader, with your pastor, with uh, leadership in church, hey, I'm struggling through this. I need to talk about this. I need to name this. Whether that's just a struggle you have, whether that's an area of sin or disobedience, whatever it is, I think all of us have experiences in our life where we can testify to the freedom that came from doing that. The freedom that came name that. And it's freeing for a couple reasons because your head is going to make things a million times worse than they ever really are, at least in my own experience. And so, hey, I just need to say this out loud. I need to name this, right? This is what's struggling on. So grab a close friend that you're in that type of relationship with. Talk to leadership and recognize that individually and corporately, not out of shame, but out of freedom that comes in the faithfulness to the gospel, I believe there is a role of confession that we have as a community together because, you know, and this is one of the things that um, Kevin talked about a while ago when we were overviewing uh, membership possibilities for the future. Like, there's a sense that being part of a community group, committing to be part of a community, you have given permission for people to ask questions, for people to press into life, for people to challenge, right? For being able to be like in community group, to be able to do that press, to have that, you have given, com- given permission to that. And so just a few examples um, from scripture, and there's so many more. Proverbs 28, 13 tells us that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Ephesians, after Paul is talking about what does the community look like? What does new life look like? writes, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one body. Our confession is not just individual confession. Our need to speak truth to one another is not an individual reality. It impacts our community. How many people have you had say something super deep, super life-giving, and invited you into that process, and it changes that process because you know people are with you through it, right? This isn't just like, hey, this is something that I'm really struggling with. Okay, cool, peace out. I'm glad you found that freedom. Now go do it on your own. No matter how much we need to lean on Christ, find our identity in Christ, that Christ compels us to push out and be able to be transformed, God also gave us a community, right? God also gave us other people to do life with, to support, to wrestle through hard realities with. And so for me, one of the things I kept, couldn't, every time I read this text, I'm like, there's something about naming this that I just wanted to bring to us as a community and the role of confession, what does look like, whether that's a deep sin or disobedience or whether that's just something that you struggle with, right? And what does it look like to name that and then get help, get processed? And that's another thing in this whole conversation of, of, of God's work in our life that I think that we distort a little bit is yes, it is Jesus that saves. Yes, it's Jesus that transforms us. But Jesus also brought us into relationships with people, right? Jesus has brought people in our life with different experiences that can speak into our life, right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to recognize, honestly, some of the things that we've had to process over the last few years, God brought the people into our life that needed to process those. God brought my counselor into my life to be able to process that stuff with, okay? And so to be able to actually recognize we need to name this, we need to be able to press through this. Here's the deal. Depression sucks for me, right? Long journey, right? And so 
Jesus worked through that, and one of the ways that Jesus has worked through that is giving me a community to heal and process that with, right? And so being able to actually embrace this, not as we're somehow stepping away from, but how is Jesus calling us in? And Jesus being able to give us people in our life and resources to be able to get help and name this. Last story here, and um, before we transition into the table, is one of the heavier things that we went through uh, in our life. I, I, re- I still remember this, and I've told this at Theology on Tap a couple times. Um, we, I was talking to a buddy who really close with did a lot of things, and I was sharing just the weight and heaviness of depression and impacts of it. And I'll never forget, he looked at me and said, yeah, I always wondered what was going on. And like even now, my stomach still sinks. And I, I, and I think just, I get that it's hard. It gets challenged. If you've been invited into those deep relationships, if you've been invited into those years of friendship, if you've been invited, even if you're a new friend and yet you've been invited into that, ask questions. This is for the community. Ask hard questions. Be able to say, hey, can we talk about this? And so I think this is something that is vibrant to the body of Christ and something that we can see the power of naming things in our community groups with close relationships, with people that we have invited in to say, hey, can you walk with me through this? Hey, you as a family, can you walk me through this? Hey, every aspect, you know, being single, being married, having one kid, having two kids, having three kids, they're, they're all challenging. And we need people to speak into that. We need to be able to name these struggles, whether they're just struggles or whether they're things that are centered disobedience, we need that space. And I think as we are here on the first Sunday of the month, as you know, we practice, um, have opportunity for the Lord's Supper every week. And normally in the back, on the first Sunday, we bring it forward. As we think about our dependence on Jesus, as we think about what Jesus has offered us of, as we think about our call to be a living sacrifice, and as we think about our need for confession, what a great time to have the opportunity to come to the table, to say, hey, we are called to be a community together. We are a community made up of individuals, but we're a community that found ourselves together. And one of the things that I love and some of the, one of the things I hate because it's pressing and challenging, being a smaller community, you have an opportunity to have follow-up conversation. You have an opportunity to press. You have an opportunity to be able to be present. And so we are called to be a community together that is for and with one another as we seek to follow Jesus. And so as we come to the table, in coming to the table and saying that you have come to the table, you're declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. And so that is how we come to the table. If that is a space or a place that you're in, that we come to the table. And if it's not a space or a place that you're in, we want to be a community that's for you and with you in that journey, to have those conversations, to have those prayers, to talk about what this means. And so I'm going to read a text, pray for us, and then invite the band uh, worship team to come up. Um, uh, within this. And so in 1 Corinthians, as we come to the table, it says, On the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, and remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And this is something that we come up individually to do, but this is something that we also join together in doing. And so if you, if, um, you come up together, it's time with prayer, time to embrace. So this is the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken for you, but it's also the body and blood of Jesus Christ broken for us.
as well. And so I'm going to invite the worship team up and then pray for us, uh, and then we will have an opportunity to come and respond. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for your call on us to show up here, to be present with one another, to have a space to, to explore, to talk, to learn about how your scripture, how the Bible reveals who you are, and where is it the areas that that presses and challenges us, where are the areas that that gives freedom and excitement. And I just pray that in this moment, in this time, as we come to the table, as we respond, um, or if depending where we're at as we're thinking about response, thinking about this life that you provide for us, just pray that this would be a time to be able to be present with you, but also recognize what you have provided us in one another. Thank you for this community and thank you for the way that you have brought us together. In your name, amen.